you? Yes, I'm really I'm well. Now yeah. that we've navigated the maze of online communication. <laughs> I know. I think this whole um, well for us, you know, the way that we normally do podcasts is sitting in the same room. So I think that this is really um, introducing us to a whole other way of relating to each other. But again, like you, like you sort of alluded to, this whole maze of technology is fun too, isn't it? <laughs> it is fun. And you brought up the other day uh, that you ha were having a, a conversation somewhere about how intimidated a lot of yoga teachers are about their need to suddenly up skill on technology mm. yeah you know yeah. i'm um i'm in a couple of little uh, yoga teacher groups where we kind of talk about things and of course given that everybody's you know quarantining and social distancing lots of yoga teachers have been trying to figure out how to get themselves online to yeah. teach their classes and as i have as you have yeah. and um i've been really kind of flabbergasted and amazed by how many people have, yoga teachers, I should say, have expressed fear of the technology, like actual fear that has kept them from engaging, you know, or trying to get online just because they, it's just, they see it all as just being so complicated. And I totally get it. I get it too. I actually have more nerves. I'm, la I'm better this week. But the first week I was all a flutter. Yeah. And I, you know, it was, it was a matter of coordinating it and then letting people in. And I had, did I tell you I had a heavy breather in one of my classes? Oh, no. oh yeah, no, my, I did Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then had a heavy breather, Zoom bomb, and was saying quite disgusting things. Oh my goodness, really? It was really gross, yeah. And luckily there was no video and it wasn't, it, yeah, he was being sort of sexual and gross. And finally we could identify because they pop up who yeah. it is. So I was like, can you just go? And he, I was like, what are you doing? And that luckily went and realized that you can eject the person. Yes. And them. So yeah. I did. But it made me put on the waiting room and the password level, which they've now made in Zoom a default. Yeah. Yeah. But even this morning, I had an email from uh, a, a former student from a workshop who said, you're online. And when I register, you get this cute little page. How do you do that? Yeah. And I sent her some instructions. I'm going to actually give her a call yeah. because I think we should help each other. If you've worked it yeah. out or you found somebody's page, just, just ask them how they did it. Cause yeah. why spend hours? Exactly. Yeah. I've definitely, I've been getting on with folks too and just kind of helping them, walking them through things. I think, um, I, you know, in as much as I've no idea how much we'll be using technology to at least to the same degree, I do think people will be using it after mm -hmm. all this is done. But, um, I think it's a benefit. It's a good thing that teachers are learning or whoever, whether it's teachers or students, I've got at least a couple of students that I've had to have phone calls with and basically hold their hand through the process of getting onto Zoom. But I think, you know, it's a, techno it's a technology filled world that we live in and that certainly isn't gonna stop. So it's definitely good that people are facing their fear a little. I think so too. I think that's very yogic. Yeah. I, this idea that, oh no, I'm not gonna use it. It's new, I can't do it, not yeah. Yeah, with any new pose or any new practice or any new experience in life. So I love, especially with the older ones, they're like, let me just see. I've got one who's got her husband as the technological support. He comes yeah. in, you know, facilitates. <laughs> but I think being open to new things and, and in, our, in myself, just challenging, it's like, no, I'm going to do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, well, that's really good to hear. That's actually... Yeah, I was I was just quite surprised when I re recognized, and I guess that's mainly because 
I, you know, I have a, something of a, of a command of technology, not a huge amount, but having worked in technology, I mean, that kind of helps a little bit. But aside from wonderful conversations, that has been a huge perk of knowing you because you've helped me find a microphone and you've, yeah. you just helped me overcome some of those things because you seem undaunted by it, which, which means that I know I can do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> confidence. Yay! Very good. Excellent. Mm. Um, and so how, outside of that, how's everything else going? Like your classes and everything, you're going well? And yeah, I, I feel like I'm getting a rhythm. And I, um, one of the things, another thing I did was shut down. I, I had, I've done pay as you go. And I had said, you know, if you can't pay, you can share. And I actually took that away. I thought if you can't pay, you can't pay. Just don't pay. But, um, but I don't want to share so widely. I don't want to become a global yoga teacher right now. Mm through this Zoom, I really want to see the faces of people I know. Right. Now, whether that's people I've taught in a workshop once, that's fine, or the friend of a friend that feels cozy. Yeah. I don't know if I need to be like superstar yoga teacher, found you on the internet. I don't, if they found me or seen me or want something, I want to talk to the person. Right. I don't, I don't want to be a famous yoga teacher, not that that's, I'm in danger of that, because I love the intimacy and the community of the group. Yeah. So having it blow out, I don't know what people would do if they had a hundred people in their class. It's really lovely to have the waiting room come in and open it for 15 minutes before and actually have a, have a couple of words to each person. Yeah. Nice. That's really nice. And that's a kind of a powerful choice to be making too, you know, kind of just based on. It makes me feel much less nervous and much better. Yeah. Nice. And it's nice to have that connection. Even then you go, okay, I'm muting you all and you blather away to a silent screen, but still. I imagine that that can be a really nice thing too for the students. I mean, I've been in uh, Zoom sessions that have maybe 15 people, um, eight people, not in terms of my teaching, but I've been in smaller sessions. And then I've also been in Zoom classes that had a hundred people in them. And the dynamic is kind of different, you know, in those, in those two kinds of different spaces. And yeah. so I get that the idea of wanting to kind of create something that feels just that little bit more, more intimate and more community. That's really great. And we were talking about um, how to moderate a conversation because we're going to have a four way conversation in our next podcast. Yeah. And so how do you um, moderate who speaks? Yeah without interrupting each other. So it's a... That is, a ch- is another challenge, another big challenge, which is another good reason to try to keep it nice and tight. <laughs> but you have made the beautiful segue to our next conversation, which we're both really excited about because we will be talking with um, Ronji Roy and David Charlton. These two gentlemen um, have written, recently written a book about the Yoga Sutras that both of us are reading at the moment. And we're really excited to talk to them about, uh, about their book because it's, it's kind of one of the more accessible um, versions of the, or I should say kind of a take because it's not really the version or a translation. It's kind of a take on the Yoga Sutras. It is um, embodying the Yoga Sutra support, direction, space, which I also really liked. Yeah, yeah. And so we thought we might, we thought we might just talk today a little bit about the Yoga Sutras because that's something that not everybody has all that much of a familiarity with. And um, 
and there's so much goodness in it. You know, there, there really is. And so I thought, you know, I, I would love to hear your, um, what your experience of the Yoga Sutras, like, where did you hear about it? What, like, what is your experience and your understanding of it? Okay, it, with the danger of kind of outing myself and embarrassing <laughs> myself, because, you know, I've been- Well, I, I guess the first question, the question really is, where did you first come into contact with it? And what was that context? It's, it's a good question. I think the first time I really thought in any way more deeply than something that slid off like an egg in a, in a, in a Teflon pan, mm-hmm. I probably would have heard about the sutras in my teacher training mm-hmm. in 2000. I don't think I ever thought about them before that until I started that. But then I did a weekend about a year or two after I trained with uh, A.G. Mohan and Indra Mohan, his wife, and they were very much talking about and referring to the sutras. Mm. And I remember kind of writing it off, <laughs> kind of, well, not, not that, but I was, I may, I was like, oh, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go down that road. Yeah. Like, I don't think I need to develop my knowledge of that. Yeah. Then the next exposure was with uh, Judith Lassiter, who starts every workshop she may not now, but this was again, probably 15 years ago or something with, or 15 to 10 years ago, because that's probably when I saw her last. And she starts with Atta Yoga Anushasanam. Mm-hmm. And she talks about that sutra, like now we will teach or enter yoga, begin yeah. with yoga. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's really profound. And that meant a lot, but it was because she explained it and gave it context and gave it a real foundation. Mm. And then the other sutra that I've related to and have also taught and related to is um, Stiram Sukham Asana, which is, but that's so asana related, but I love that and have taught about it. And then I talked to you then, you know, Chitta Vritti Naroda. And that's the one that I've understood better and better as I think about mental health. And honestly, those are the three sutras that I can recite by heart and know. Yeah. And in a way have embodied. And that's it. Yeah. And but I'm so excited to read this book because, yeah. yeah. So what about you? So I do not think, I don't even think we covered the Yoga Sutras in my teacher training. Now that I'm thinking about it. We definitely covered some aspects of the sutras and by that I just mean um, some of its contents so we talked about the eight limbs of yoga and we you know and all of that stuff Patanjali's eight limbs I mean that's actually that's we talked about that Um, I don't even know if we talked about Chitta Vritti Naroda I don't even know if that came up because what's the mind got to do with yoga yeah, exactly. And the thing is, my original teacher training, there was, you know, it was definitely more of a physical focus. It was Ashtanga Vinyasa and all that. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have said that there wasn't a spiritual aspect to it. But um, we didn't, there was a system that they were teaching. And that system didn't include sort of a further expansion, uh, which is interesting. It, it, in some ways, that makes sense to me now, because I think about just like you were saying when you when you were had that workshop with the mohans and how you were like mm, i don't know i'm not going to i'm not going to get into that it 
the sutras have always felt like, I, well, my yoga therapy training, when I did that training, that was when we, did, we were, took a little bit more of a dive into the sutras and I kind of got a sense for what they were, what they are. Um, and of course, we'll talk about what they are. <laughs> we're talking about them and people might be going, okay, what are they? <laughs> um, what is this? But yoga therapy training, I got more of an understanding of it. And then I have slowly, which I only realized about a month ago, I have slowly over the years been collecting translations of the sutras without even meaning to. Like somebody sent me something and then I got um, Nishala Devi's book, which is a you know translation of the sutras. And then I started looking around and I'm like, I think I've got like nine different translations of the sutras, which is wild to me. That is wild. Um, and, it's, and I do remember when I first started teaching, maybe about two years after I started teaching, this, the studio that I was teaching at, they had a lovely group of teachers, Grace Tree Yoga, which actually is about to close down in June, um, in Cincinnati. They, and they decided they wanted to create a, a yoga, a sutra study group. And so I got, a, I got a copy of the sutras then, and we started the group, and then I think it kind of disbanded after a couple of sessions just because everybody got busy whatever. Anyway, um, so I've, I've only, I've been slowly absorbing this stuff. And I think also building my experience of yoga and life. And now the sutras really make sense. So I have to agree that I clearly wasn't mature enough. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that that's a really important thing. The reason that I would out myself is I could have just pretended, (laughs) but but in, the thing that I've loved about yoga is I have not been able to rush anything ever. Yeah. And I, I've gone back to the beginning over and over again. Yeah. And then it feels like my next beginning yeah. is mantras. I'm feeling like that for yeah. sure. For sure. So, okay. So I will just kind of quickly do give you, give you an overview of what I think the sutras are about. That, that would be wonderful. Uh, because I've been studying um, in, over the last kind of couple of months, I've been studying the sutras. Actually, I've been, uh, I've been doing a course with Dr. David Frawley, um, and that is, a, con- that is a, a course about the connection between yoga and Ayurveda, and it actually starts with the sutras. So I started that course like a, a couple of years ago, and I've been kind of going through all that stuff, but I've been more intensely studying the sutras with a client of mine. So in the last kind of few months... Um, so this, the yoga sutras, so when you hear that idea of yoga sutras, you think, oh, this is yoga. This is all about, you know, people often think, oh, this is all about the poses and must be all that. I see the yoga sutras as a playbook for living, which I love. I love, love, love. And and so when I'm reading it, I'm reading it very much like an instruction manual for life. Um, I suppose as, at its foundations, it's about describing what yoga actually is, uh, and which is why it begins with that sutra, you know, now we begin yoga. Yeah. Um, and so it describes what it is, but what I love most about it is that it's, it's a, it, you know, from a logistics standpoint, I think there's four chapters. Uh, the first chapter is um, Samadhi Pada. Second chapter is um, Sadhana. Uh, the third chapter of Vibhuti or something. And then the fourth one, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember that one. But anyway, the first two are kind of the key ones. And they are talking about, the first one talks all about um, kind of what it means to be human. 
and all the pitfalls that you fall into, all the ways that your brain works and the way that your brain can just take you, your mind can just take you off track um, and keep you from kind of realizing who you really are, you know, which is this, you know, which is this divinity, which is this beautiful, amazing, you know, energy. Um, and I really like that because reading that, reading those things, I recognize it immediately. You think, you know, yeah. And I think once you understand the yogic philosophical premise, yeah. how they see, how yoga sees a human being as multidimensional, yeah. how, how the a huge cause of suffering is avidia, ignorance to our amazingness and our connectedness. And that helps. Yeah, it does. It helps a lot. You can begin. Yeah. Exactly. It gives you, it gives it all to me, it gives you this context for understanding, um, you know, why, why you're constantly living in the swirl of your thoughts and of your, um, you know, your feelings of, of everything, joy and unworthiness and aggravation and anger and all the rest of it. And it even, it even goes so far as to create or to kind of map out the process by which we, you know, get excited about something and then we kind of lose our excitement about it. And then that leads to us kind of getting lazy about things. And then there's some sort of dullness. There's this sort of cycle that we go through that I see happening to everyone, you know, at the beginning of January every year, we set these resolutions, you know, and we're like, yes, yes. this is going to happen. Here in the United States, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Somehow, that's when it seems people do that. Totally. And then, you know, you get to this point where your enthusiasm drops off and all the rest of it. And, and to me, these things, you know, this, this, the sutras kind of talk about that, that process that we've all experienced and how, one, that process is a part of being human, but two, that process, that cycle is also a, one of the, the, the cycles of thinking and action that can keep us from our highest selves, that can keep us from, and we have the choice to move out of it. And you're always, I'm always looking at these books, these, you know, these books of, of philosophy and whatever going, okay, what's the answer? What are you going to tell me? <laughs> exactly. Like, all right, how do I break out? You know, how do I break out of all this crap I've been thinking and doing? And it comes down to the same thing that you've always known, which is consistent practice over time and surrender, let go, let go of the results. Which is, which Westerners hate. <laughs> we like to do. So it's so counterintuitive. You do have to do a lot of stuff to be a yogi, but, but you do the stuff to set the conditions to not do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just, but I think, you know, there, for me, the, the good part about reading all of this, especially those simple solutions that we know always, consistency, uh, consistency with some degree of enthusiasm, and letting go attachment yeah yeah letting go of any any attachment that you have to make it having it look a certain way having it be a certain way achieving something in a certain way that just that simple little package 
I think having a book that's thousands of years old remind you that that's it, baby. You know, it doesn't get any more complicated or simple than that. Doesn't it feel like a little bit of a support group? It's like, wait a second, these guys sat around and figured this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, you're not alone in yeah. flipping around like a fish on the floor. Yeah. You're, which is comforting. And it's also comforting that they figured it out how to come into, how to come back to yourself. Yeah. It's, I, I think what I love is that we human beings have not changed as much as we think we have. Yeah, the fundamentals are... <laughs> They're still there, you know? All of this stuff. I mean, yeah, we've, we've layered, you know, jobs and cars and technology and, you know, all kinds of fancy stuff on top of the human experience. But underneath it all, it's still the same. And there's something really nice about that. I don't know, I, and I don't even know why, but there's something really comforting about that. Oh, I think so too. And I, what I also like is when you, when you start to look at that, you realize you can't just have, you know, that spiritual bypass thing where you're like, oh, it's all beautiful and it's all wonderful. And it's, you know, it's kind of like an acid trip and you have an insight, but how do you, how do you apply that and, and have that consistency and that abiding and that endurance and that, yeah. So I think, I like that. Yeah. It's so just, I really want to know if you don't mind talking about it, what you've been doing with your student, because it's something that I, I almost want you to do with me, but I, or I just love to hear what the process is or what the idea is with it. Sure. So, so to me, one of the things that uh, you'll find with the, with the yoga sutras, and I kind of mentioned it at the outset that I've got nine different translations. One of the things that you'll find with it is that, um, it, it, it's, it, was, it was written in such a way that it's very sparse. Mm -hmm. And so the only way that we can kind of begin to, unless you're a Sanskrit scholar or you have some sense of Sanskrit, the only way that we can really begin to understand it and kind of start to use that wisdom in our lives now is through reading translations. And as you can imagine with language, uh, the, the words and Sanskrit, which a lot of the a lot of words in Sanskrit have multiple meanings. Yeah. So you can choose, you can pick one translation of this book up and look at it and go, well, I don't know what this is all about. And then you can pick up another one and go, oh my gosh, this totally speaks to me. And so I think for me, at least what kind of started this was, and I'll dive into what I'm doing with my student too. I'm not, I'm not dodging that question. But what started it was finding um, a translation of the sutras that I could totally relate to. They were using, that is Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat by Kelly DiNardo and Amy Pierce Hayden. And we'll put, I'll put all the sutras, all the versions that I've got, I'll put those in the show notes and make sure that those go in the show notes. And this book is really great. This was written by two yoga teachers. And they've, you know, studied and lived the sutras and they basically broken down every sutra. And it, I think it's just the first two, actually, it's the first two books only. Yeah, it's, yeah, first two books only. Um, and then they've sort of related it to some situation that you have in your life. And you just, it just comes alive. And so this student of mine who is um, German, she's, she lives in Germany. We were having a conversation. I had recommended uh, this book to her and we were having a conversation about it and how it 
you know, this whole thing that I was kind of saying to you at the beginning, which was this, I feel like it's this playbook for life. And she's one of these people like us who's at a certain point in her life that she's had some experiences of stuff. And she kind of is starting, you know, she's inquiring about, you know, why she does certain things and why she doesn't and, you know, all this other great stuff. And so I said to her, look, maybe we should, let's have a, let's dive in and let's have a study of this. And so the way it's looked is I've given her a couple of sutures. We started at the very beginning, a couple of sutures, and I've just said, read through these and tell me what you think. Let's just talk about what this means, you know, and where you're confused and um, what you think could be useful. Like, what is this showing you? And yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, is, has it been sort of grist for a meal of really good conversations? Yeah. Totally. And very, oh, it's just been, it's been, and it's actually been really good for me as well, because I've wanted to go through, process it for myself, and then talk to her about, well, this is what I see. And what's been really interesting is uh, in this process, I have discovered that I've got all these, <laughs> that I didn't even realize that I've got all these um, versions of the sutures, because I've been like, oh yeah, I've got that. Because I've gone through and I've read the one from this one, and then I've read the one from this one, and then I've read the translation from another one. And, I, and in reading all of these different translations, it's, for me, it's like layers on top of my own understanding of things. Um, and there's also even parts of it that I've just been like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't gel. I don't, that doesn't fit for me. That description doesn't really, it doesn't connect with me. I, I like the process that you're talking about because it's similar when we talk about um, asana or pranayama practices and things like that. We, you're taught whatever you're taught in teacher training yeah. and then you might go to somebody's class and then someone else from another lineage and something here and something there. And in the end, the ultimate arbiter, it's good that there's lots of versions of things because it forces you to have to feel and sense and see what resonates yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's lots of, um, there's lots of scholars out there who, you know, in, who, who are Sanskrit scholars and yogic philosophy scholars who, you know, hang on every word and every translate, every possible translation of every word in this kind of effort to get it right. And, you know, that, that is just so far outside of my worldview. That's so far outside of my, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying like my view of it is completely different. And I, I'm seeing this, all of this stuff as, um, as just such a, such beautiful insights into the human condition and such beautiful insights into um, all of the things that I struggle with. And even more so, it feels like it's laid down this path that you can go right. You know, this kind of gives me a bit of a preview of where I'm trying to get to. And it's really, it's very interesting. It's, it's definitely kind of opened up my, you know, it's changed my relationship with myself and with my family. Yoga practice too. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a whole different way of practicing yoga. So that's Vajaya, you know, that self-study and that um, studying inspiring scriptures and having conversations. 
It's nice. And I, I think the reason that we got so excited about Ranji Roy and, and David Charlton. Yeah. Because they weren't overly attached to one particular thing. Yep. They're really about how are you going to use it in your life? Yeah. How are you going to apply it? Yep. Don't get too attached. They talked about, was there a funny story about um, sitting on a seat and then they glued it to their butt? You're walking around, like a seat's very useful. <laughs> if you glued it to your butt because you got so attached to it, it really wouldn't be very useful. <laughs> yeah. It was a lovely, <laughs> there's a lot of amusement in the way that, there's it, that lovely unattached, playful way of mm. incorporating it. Yeah. I think we, well, we heard them, we heard them being interviewed on Jay Brown's podcast and, and uh, I mean, I was immediately like, I just want to talk to these guys. I just really, cause I just, I really love the, their approach to it and that they see this in the same, in a similar way, <laughs> in a similar way to me, I suppose, which we will dive into in all kinds of detail when we talk to them, but as just a tool, just another tool to help us better understand ourselves not, you know, not the opposite, not something that we have to try to understand. Um, you know, like a, uh, I don't know, um, a formula. It's more about read this and see what it lights up within you. You know, while you were saying that, it made me think of something about the value of sutras too, which yeah. for some reason, you, I've done a lot of yoga and tried a lot of different things. Like why not Feldenkrais? Why not, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And then the question comes up is like, well, what is yoga? Mm. Is that yoga that you're practicing? And I like the idea of going to the sutras and to kind of that, that essence down to the bone and the skeleton of it, which is, that's the yoga. And then how do you put that into place? That's your choice. Mm. But you're coming down to the, to the philosophical foundations of it. Yeah. And how you choose to enact or live or manifest that is, is up to you. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of clarifies things because you can, you can know a lot of things and get a little lost and woodsy and it, it helped clean things up a little bit. Mm. Mm. Go, oh, okay, if I'm going to be a yoga teacher, then this is kind of where I've, where I've gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also like that it isn't, it's not the Bhagavad Gita. So it's not, um, it's not, doesn't feel like a Hindu text to me. Yeah. Yeah. Very true, actually. Yeah, that's really interesting, too, because in, in the course that I'm doing with Dr. Frawley, he talks about the relationship between the Gita and the Yoga Sutras. And I've got a couple of versions of the Gita, too, and I've tried to kind of dive into it. And I can tell you, like, right now, I'm kind of at this place where, with the Bhagavad Gita, where I'm like, hmm, I'm not... I, it's not, it, I'm not wearing it in the same way as I, as I'm wearing the sutras. It's not resonating with me in the same way. And so maybe we can ask the guys about it when we, when we interview them too, to see yeah. if we're missing something. <laughs> I know. Huh. And you know what I'm thinking though, just based on my relationship, my relationship with the sutras and where it's, you know, where it's, how it's gotten to this point. Yeah. Part of me is thinking, right, well, it's not, maybe it's just not the time. I think that's probably very sensible because there's lots of people who love and study the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. Integral yoga people. Are, yeah. yeah. And it is one of the, it is one of these kind of seminal texts of yoga. Yeah. It's, it, it is the, you know, one of the, the, the big things and there's a relationship between the sutras and, but yeah. I think 
for me, the way the sutras are written, um, it feels more like, it feels the languaging that's being used, it feels more like an instructions manual to some degree, um, as opposed to a tale, as opposed to a story that, you know, like this allegorical story where you need to be able to kind of, you know, kind of dive in and pick it, pick apart from the relationships between the, you know, the characters, what the real, what the real depth of it is. And, and I always love stories. I've always enjoyed things like Aesop's fables and, you know, stuff like that. But it feels like, it feels like the context that they're talking about, that the, it, the lay of the land feels so many levels deep that just by looking at a, a kind of a very high level story mm-hmm. for me, I'm not able to get to grasp it's, the depth. It's gendered too. You know, I, you know, it's this young man thinking, should I fight or should I not fight? I, I, it's who knows? It's a little like, like on the road with by Jack Kerouac. Didn't, I didn't relate to that much either. It was so male. It was so, um, out of my universe. So I, I wonder if that has to do with it too. That is so interesting. That is so, is so interesting. I've never even thought about that, to be honest, because that first sutras, you know, the first sutras I had was that Satchitananda one, Satchitananda um, one, and which everybody has. And then, and then I had this one, the Inside the Yoga Sutras, which was which is I don't, have, I don't have one book on the Yoga Sutras. Oh, really? Oh, my except, gosh. Except for these guys' book, which I'm oh, really right. starting with. This was the one I got, this um, Inside the Yoga Sutras, a comprehensive source book for study and practice by Reverend Jagannath Carrera. That was the second one I got. And, you know, that one kind of went to the back of the bookshelf. And then it wasn't until, and then I got, I had Nishala's book, but, Nishla Joy Devi's book, but I didn't dive into it. I think I just got busy. I think I got that one at a time when life was kind of crazy. Um, and, but then it was this book, this Living the Sutras, and it's written by these two women, and they just set, the, they set it up. Every, you know, every sutra, they set it up in a way that I'm like, that's me. I can relate. Okay, so it's, and it, that's great. That's a really important thing to recognize is that, oh, Sometimes it's the teacher or the deliverer or the teller of the story that, that so, makes a big difference. To yeah. Connect with it. And I might not have found the person who connected me yet. Yeah. And I, you. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, maybe. Um, I love the, even just the perspective that that gives me on other aspects of my life and teaching and learning because I, you know, I'm such a, um, I, I'm, I so enjoy learning. I just, oh, I love learning stuff. And, and yet there have been, there's lots of times where I'll be listening or reading something and I'll be like, I don't get it. I don't yeah, know. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Like I cannot get interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so easy to kind of make yourself wrong or, you know, just kind of wonder like, well, why aren't you getting this? I mean, that for me, that's kind of some, that's kind of where I can go sometimes. Um, Sure. Or like, you know, the, the, the book that won the Booker Prize and you're like, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm, I'm not getting it. But I think it's also good to know that sometimes, A, you're not ready. Yeah. B, not everything has to resonate in, in the same way with everybody. True. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And I do, I'm like, I'm holding off talking about Dave and Ranji's book because I definitely want to talk about it when we talk with them. But 
I, I feel it, just to kind of set it up a little bit. So all of these things that, I, that I've been, all these books I've been putting up, these are, have been translations of the sutras. So they've started, you know, from chapter one of the sutras, sutra one, and they've gone all the way through, whether it's all the way through all of them or this, the living sutras just has the first three um, or the first, yeah, the first three. But Dave and Ranju's take is different and we will talk about it with them when we talk to them, but theirs isn't like a, a direct translation. They've seen this as a tool for understanding yourself, for living and for integrating into practice. And so they've just kind of picked and they've just picked and choose, you know, the sutras that they feel are really useful. Um, and they've talked a bit about that and they have put in translations, uh, I think their own translations, we can talk about that with them, but um, I, like I like from what I've started the structure of it because it comes out of their own teaching, I think, or their own thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And that they've used the sutra to demonstrate or elucidate or, or kind of uh, encapsulate what they're trying to say yeah. instead of reading it all in order and trying to stick it all on something. Yeah. And so it moves away from being this sort of academic it does. exercise to something more. It feels very authentic and feels very much um, like they live it, you know, and, and, and that, uh, that feels very nice. I'm liking it a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Cause I, I did tell my student to um, my client who to have a look at it as well. And she was, she was looking at it and she was like, there's stuff in here that I don't know. I don't understand it. And I said, that's all good. <laughs> that's all fine. Don't worry. But she was, she was reading certain parts of it. And I was kind of giving her some, my own understanding and context of it too. So doing a little, I was kind of translating some of the translations. Oh, did I, I didn't, I wanted to mention that she's also been, she's German and she's also been reading German translations. Oh, okay. Well, that's it. Oh, very interesting to me that's like that has opened my eyes up to a whole other way of looking at things because we'll be talking about uh you know an idea or even a simple concept like uh we talked about this idea of equanimity which i love i just love saying the word <laughs> it makes me think of sylvia borstein who is just her whole goal is equanimity oh. Yeah. I love it. I love that. I just, I love it as a concept. I love it anyway. So I'm, I'm talking to her about this idea of equanimity and she says, okay, well, um, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and, and try to find a translation of that in German because she's German and we sometimes forget. I do. I forget all the time, even though I, I speak Spanish, but I don't speak it super fluently, but there is language is so much a part of who we are. Yeah. It is so much a part of how we understand ourselves, how we understand the world. And even though you can learn other languages and you can kind of learn, oh, well, this means this in that language, having something in your own, understanding something in your own language, even though I think we've even talked about how limiting language can be, yeah. having something in your own language is, I think it gives you a different understanding, it gives you an understanding of it that, that, uh, maybe feels like home, I don't know. But so we talked about this idea of equanimity. She went away and found a, a translation of this word and she came back to me and she said, look, she said, I think, I think 
uh, I think the way that you are describing this is a little bit different to my understanding. She said, because you're just, the way you're describing it gives it a, a positive, a real positive connotation. And I was like, exactly. I'm like, let's dive in. How is, how could it not be? And, and she said, well, the, the way that it's translated in the, the way that she would translate the German translation of it back into English is more like indifference. Uh-huh. Well, that's like the mistake with attach, non-attachment. Yeah. That sounds like you don't give a shit. Exactly. And that's, and that's kind of what she was saying. She was like, you know, the, word, the words that, it, that are used to describe this in German really does have the, the sentiment of, I don't give a shit. Oh. I don't really care. Mm. And I was like, that gives me such insights into, further insights into the German culture first of all, um, and not in any judgmental way, but just in, you know, when I think about what I know of German, of Germany and the German culture, I think, yes, this is a, these are a very, um, uh, and I, it, you know, I'm, I mean, there's been amazing artists and all sorts of things that have come out of Germany. So I'm not even, I'm, I'm trying not to generalize too much, but when I think a little bit about the culture, it's a kind of an exacting culture. It's a culture of, you know, folks who, you know, engineers and, and, people who have answers, you know, in some ways. Um, and you would know, oh my goodness, you've got a German background? Here I am. Germany, like you. And clear, you know, and it's like, yeah. it's like this, yeah. So. Yeah, and so, and I think, okay, so even in getting that insight about Germany, it makes me, it, it makes me wonder more about the things that I don't even think about, about the way that we use language, hmm. the way that we speak English, and what the words mean and how they sit with us. Um, and it makes me more, it makes me more aware of how I use words and how I use language, just in terms of- It's wonderful when in whatever language you find exactly the right word yes. that squeezes the juice out of exactly the feeling that you're trying to express, or when you hear someone speak or, to, or write or something and they get it and it- yeah there's this resonance that's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I think we've probably talked a bit about this before, about how there's, in, there's all these, there's other words, there's other languages that have kind of words or phrases that mean something that would take you like a, you know, a minute just to describe, you know, in English. A couple of examples. I use the word empowerment when I'm teaching in Japan. Uh-huh. They don't have the word empowerment. It's not a word. Interesting. Yeah. And when you talk about doing something right, they have the word tadashi, which mm-hmm. means right. But it's not just, oh, that was correct. That is like, you are also morally right. Oh. So they're very closely related. To do something correctly is also to be like, has a lot to do with who you are. It was really, it's fascinating to kind of get those resonances. And then when you were talking about German, I think the word in English that we don't have is um, sympathique, or in French they call it like sympa, or I think they have it in, in Spanish. What do you, when you say somebody is sympathique, like sympathetic to you. Oh, okay. Or you have an environment, in German they call it gemütlich, which is, it means comfortable, literally translated as comfortable, but it means more atmospherically comfortable. Like it was a gemütlich dinner party. Uh-huh. You know, I wouldn't say it was a comfortable dinner party. That's like, you know, were the cushions okay? (laughs) 
but that the atmosphere is kind of free of tension or just connected. no connected and um we related well and we okay. can yeah i get that's probably the best way i can think of it is it's is connected and we're supported by the environment to, to make good connection see now this is translation this is making me want to read the sutras in german now because <laughs> i'm thinking well i'm imagining what kind of layers they would be able to, you know, having a language that is so attached to feeling perhaps. Yeah. You know, like I think, I do think English is a limited language and perhaps more limited than other languages. Ooh, um, I think English is, is uh, I think English has a lot. Oh yeah? I do. I, I sometimes find other, well, it depends on what. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a linguist, so I better not go there. Me either, so I probably shouldn't either. But I just, when I, when I hear, I can't think of many single words that we have that, um, and maybe this is just because I'm so familiar with this language that it doesn't feel like there's no novelty in it for me. Right. But I'm hearing in, you know, all these different other languages and cultures, they've got these single words that just encompass a whole experience like you talked about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, oh. I don't have that so much. Maybe I do. Maybe equanimity. <laughs> we're, we're swimming in our own water. We can't. I think so. Yeah. 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 So yeah, this, as you can see, this study of the sutras has, you know, it's, show, it's shown up on my doorstep at the right time. And I, I suppose that's all it can ever do. And well, like it's showing up for me too. And I mean, now, you know, if you're, if you're going to sit out a pandemic and use the time constructively. Yeah. Uh, then a sutra a day or a chapter a day of this book sounds like a, a really nice way to center your day or to create a little idea in your mind yep. to play with. And yeah, definitely. Actually, I think that's a really good idea. I mean, I've been kind of gobbling up, you know, <laughs> yeah. gobbling things up, you know, tens and a bunch at a time and trying to, and then going back and whatever. But I think that is a really good, and, and this book, this Living the Sutras, is very much set up like that, where there'll be maybe one or two, and, and then there'll be a little re reflection that you can kind of dive into so that you can begin to create your own relationship with it. And, you know, just like, just like any yoga, that is really the way, isn't it? That's really the I think so. A little, a lot, not a lot, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we do a lot of little and we get very excited, sometimes that's, you have these bursts, but it, it, the consistency of, of any practice and of kind of taking it on. I also like the routines. I'm trying to keep routines. So I'm, you know, doing little things and allocating certain periods of time and then going, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. I might nice. Add the sutras in. Very nice. Abhyasa and Varagya, right? <laughs> consistency yeah. over time. So yeah, so I'm really, I'm excited to continue this conversation with, um, with Dave and Ranju and to dive deeper and to share some of them, well, to, to better understand some of their insights in creating this book, but also to share and to hopefully pique the interest of yoga teachers and yoga students and even just people who are interested in kind of the yogic philosophy. Um, to maybe dive in a little bit more and to try to understand this stuff because not be intimidated. Yeah. 
because it's great tools for living. And it isn't that, it, it's not so esoteric and forbidding. Exactly, exactly. If you find the right, if you find the right teacher. Yeah. Well, so that will be our next one. Thank you. It's been great talking about all this stuff. And I'm getting the sense that this won't be the last time that we talk about this, whether on the air or off. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Mara. Thank you. Thank you.